This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Oh, here we are. We're coming up uh, tomorrow. We enter into the Advent season, and you're looking for a way to prepare for the coming of Christ. Of course, in the Advent season, we're looking at for these first two weeks, the coming of Christ at the end of all time, the eschaton. And in the last two weeks, as we get closer to Christmas, we'll focus on remembering the the time that he came the first time, the incarnation and all that means for us. Um, one of the things that we do as we look towards the eschaton is we look for our place within the broader scope of things. We're still here in the month of November, which is the month that we celebrate the saints and there's a, you know me, I love saint books. And I came across one, and I think, I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram or however it came across, I came across this post uh, regarding a saint story of St. Martin de Porres, who I have a, a particular devotion to because of a specific place where we were in our life, uh, that it ended up, St. Martin is the namesake of the a middle, one of the middle, one of the many middle names of one of my children. Uh, and so we um, we have kind of included him in our family litany of saints. So I, I perked up a little bit when I saw this beautifully illustrated children's book talking about the saints. And what more interested me was the commentary around, um, around St. Martin, and specifically around um, people's reception of this particular book. So we brought the author in today to talk with us, Meg Hunter-Kilmer, um, this book, Saints Around the World, is on Emmaus Road Publishing. You can find out more information about it over at saintsaroundtheworld.com. Meg, thank you for being with us today. I am always excited to talk about the saints. I'm glad to be here. So in this specific story, you had someone come up, uh, a parent, maybe a little bit concerned about this um, interaction they had with their child around St. Martin de Porres, because you mentioned uh, without holding anything back that Martin's St. Martin's parents were unmarried and that presented for him a challenge. And, and for the parent, it presented a little bit of a challenge as well as their children began asking questions and share with us a little bit about why it was so important to include that aspect into the story as we read for him. Cause so many of our children's books these days are sanitized so as to remove potential thorny issues and here you've made the, the choice to include it. Yeah, you know, I think when we were working on this book, we wanted to make sure that we were being very gentle with young souls. I think a lot of times you talk to people who will say, you know, I read saint stories when I was little and they were traumatizing because it was just all <laughs> gore and dismemberment. And I wanted to make sure that we were being gentle with their hearts without whitewashing out the struggle and the complexity of people's lives. So I was actually reading the story to a little girl before the book had gone to print. And I said, St. Martin de Porres' parents were never married. And she said, well, then how did he get born if his parents weren't married? And that is not my job. So I said, <laughs> I don't know exactly. And just kept reading because it's really that easy to put a child off. And her mom later, she was like, you know, you might want to take that out. People could be uncomfortable. And I, and I listened. And I think it's a, a reasonable question to raise. But I said, here's the thing. There are children in our church whose parents were never married, mm -hmm. who are going to read that, who are going to feel seen in that element of their lives for the first time ever. And I said, you know, I'm not writing this book just for the kids 
who have perfect families, right? Because that's nobody. And I'm not writing it just for the kids who are always depicted in the stained glass windows. I'm writing it to invite people in to see what it looks like to be holy in their lives. And so I left it in and then I was reading it in a school this summer and I read that line and this little boy threw his hand in the air with a giant smile on his face. And he said, my parents were never married. And you could tell that he was just like, oh my gosh, I am just like St. Martin de Porres and I'm going to be a saint too. And you people over there with your married parents, like you don't get us because like we have a special bond, you know? And, yeah. and to think about the number of times that that has been a source of shame for that child. The number of times he's probably been teased for it, the grief in his life of that separation between his parents, that in that moment, Jesus was looking at him and saying, honey, there is nothing wrong with you. And I think that's why I love the saints so much is because it's a way for the love of God to penetrate these walls we've built around ourselves, these walls of of shame and of self-recrimination and feeling like an outcast, you know, just speaking the lie to what the devil says when he tells us there's some part of us that God doesn't love. And this, when the saints show us who we are, when we see in the saints our own particular story, it's just Jesus saying, oh no, you are exactly the person that I made you to be. Yeah. Well, you go all the way back to St. Paul and he says, oh, all of you listening, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the chief among you. And and yet even so, God is using me. And there is this power in the saints for us to say, I see in them the place where they ended up, the holiness that they are exhibiting and the example that they have. And I also see where they started. And and that give, you know, that gives me more hope than than maybe looking at uh, the divine, the divine person, Jesus Christ, who also uh, made the way for us. And yet somehow maybe we think, oh gosh, I could never, I could never be enough. I could never be that holy, even though of course cross, uh, the, the, the incarnation provides for us, uh, all that we need to be able to approach holiness. The saints give us yeah. that tangible example and, and maybe provide us a pathway that we can walk in. Right. I mean, it's St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, right? Saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Mm -hmm. He's not saying you can't imitate Jesus. He's saying, look, some of y'all were real big jerks and Jesus wasn't a real big jerk. And maybe you're having a hard time figuring out what it looks like to be holy when you were a real big jerk like yesterday, right? Check this out. <laughs> you can be like me. And, and seeing those saints, not just the ones who were terrible and became wonderful, but the ones who continue to be sort of terrible, mm -hmm. right? When I write about St. Jerome, I say, St. Jerome was really angry. And while it would be wonderful, I could say, and then God changed his life and made him so gentle and pleasant. That's not what happened. St. Jerome was usually angry and then he died. And <laughs> I just find it so encouraging because, you know, I've been running after Jesus 25 years now. And it is still hard. Yeah. And to look at the saints who dealt with addiction till the day of their deaths or the saints who dealt with that like constant inclination to anger, I'd say, okay, but you know what? This might be the story that God is telling about his grace. It might be the story that God is telling about perseverance. And he isn't saving me from this struggle because he's saving me through this struggle. Well, uh, at the same time that, that, this is a book written for children. This is also a part of the story that we need to hear and appropriate 
as grownups, as parents, as as godparents and aunts and uncles, and however it is that we uh, purchase this book and put it in the hands of those who most need it, um, representation matters. And yes. seeing ourselves in someone else matters. You know, if we look up and, and all we see in the stained glass uh, windows are are people who we can't relate to, mm-hmm. then it makes it very difficult for us to to see ourselves in holiness. I think that's the whole reason that we have in the Catholic Church this idea of of patron saints, right? The patron saint of music or the patron saint of addicts or the patron saint of mental illness or the patron saint of lost causes so that we can say in this moment where I currently am in the snapshot of my life, I need to find someone who's gone through what I've gone through who can pray for me that I would persevere in holiness. Yes. I mean, honestly, I think it's the whole reason we have saints full stop, Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't need intercessors in heaven. Like what a great gift that we have their intercession, but God did not need to use their mediation that participates in the one mediation of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. He gave us the saints because he knew we needed to see ourselves in them and that there were elements of the person of Jesus where we weren't going to be able to see ourselves. I mean, even if it's just like being up late, nursing a baby, Mm -hmm. right? Like Jesus was never up late nursing a baby. And so here we have all of these saints who were moms or, you know, saints with physical disabilities or with intellectual disabilities, the experience of just having a friend Mm -hmm. who sits next to me and is like, yeah, this is really hard. Yeah, I know because I've been there and I love you and I'm going to love you to Jesus. You know, it's just, it's such a consolation to me. So the book is Saints Around the World, the website saintsaroundtheworld.com. Um, there are so many saint books available out there. What was it that drove you into maybe picking these specific saints and compiling this book for children? Man, picking the saints was quite a job because, you know, the focus of the book was geographical representation. We wanted to show the universality of the church. So many of these saint books, it's 24 saints from Europe and Josephine Vakita, who yeah. lived most of her life in Europe, right? Um, and we wanted we wanted kids to be able to see themselves represented ethnically. We wanted them to see their countries and their cultures represented. Um, and we wanted people to look at this map and say, wow, the Catholic Church really is for everybody everywhere. So, you know, I I had this idea and I put started throwing together an Excel spreadsheet and I went over to my sister's house and got out her children's atlas and a big bucket of pony beads and had the kids put the pony beads on the different spots on the atlas so that we can see where the gaps were. And so some of it was really easy, right? There is one saint from the Pacific Islands, yeah. blessed, actually, blessed Peter Cho wrote. So I was like, well, he's going in and I'm going to have to learn how to tell his story in an interesting way because there's no alternative. Yeah. There's one saint from Iceland, there is one saint from Australia. And then you have the countries that have gobs of saints like South Korea or Mexico or Italy, where then it's, you know, then things get a little bit tricky because I've got to kill off some of my darlings, right? I can't, <laughs> I can't write about every French saint that I love. I can't write about every South Korean saint or every Japanese saint that I love. Um, and so there, again, it was a question of representation, right? Do we have a saint who went through a divorce? Let's make sure there's one of those in there. Do we have a saint who was adopted? Let's make sure we've got one of those. Do we have a saint with a limb difference? Let's make sure we've got one of those. It was 
essential to me that we had a saint in a wheelchair on the cover because I wanted that to be something that people saw immediately because so often in the way that we represent disabled saints, we put them in their quote unquote glorified body, mm-hmm. which we don't know what it means to have a glorified body, right? You very well might still have a limb difference or might still use mobility devices. It, there won't be an impairment, right? But it right. doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have the same experience of disability, which is really sort of at the center of a lot of people's identity, right? We don't know what's going on there, but more than that, Catholics in wheelchairs need to see holiness in a wheelchair, right? Regardless of what's going to happen at the resurrection of the body, like what does it look like now to be holy in a wheelchair? And so making sure that we had limb differences and making sure that we had saints with intellectual disabilities and saints who had a million kids and saints who dealt with infertility, just like all of it in there. And so that's really how it worked out. Lots of columns on the Excel spreadsheet to make sure I wasn't going too heavy on martyrs or too heavy on women who snuck out of their parents' house by climbing out the window and climbing down the rose trellis and running away to religious life. Cause you know, that's, that's sort of a theme right. in a lot of saint stories. And I was like, let's not, let's not have children running away from home. Let's just right. limit this a little bit. So as you, as you looked through all these various categories, what was the one that maybe was a little bit more challenging or that surprised you as you looked to fill the category and then found out who it was that was going to be that representation? Mm, that's a good question. Um, there are definitely some, some really good new friends that I made through looking for saints to fit in different regions. Blessed Paul Taoshang is now a really good friend of mine. Um, Blessed Columba Kong Won Suk sort of surprised me because I have lots of Korean saint friends and she's sort of presented herself to me by accident. And I was like, oh, well, she's going in. She is a delight. Um, I think that that what's really been the most surprising is the way that God speaks to people's hearts through the stories I don't care for. Hmm. Because not everybody in this book is somebody that I love, right? Some of them, I was like, I will move heaven and earth to put this person in a book. And some of them, I'm like, well, she has to go in. There isn't really an option. Um, And that's, it's been really beautiful to have people reach out and say, oh my gosh, I love this saint so much. And the way you told the story, because there are some stories where I'm like, I just feel like I missed, you know, I didn't quite, I didn't quite get the point. And the Holy Spirit is like, that's cute. You were not actually the one writing this. You were not in charge. And the point that you didn't think mattered that much is going to be revolutionary in some people's lives, right? So that's yeah. that's been really beautiful to see, just the way the saints sort of step in and and do their work regardless of how well I've accomplished mine. We're talking with Meg Hunter-Kilmer, who's the author of the book Saints Around the World, saintsaroundtheworld.com. She's got a couple other books we'll talk about here in a moment. Um, I, I recently, a couple of weeks ago, for the first time ever, was sent to Rome by my job. I went out and I spent a week hey. there did a couple of, of uh, things for work, and then I spent a lot of time going to the churches and visiting the relics and the saints and everything that I could. I stayed away from the museums because that wasn't really what was of interest to me. One of the things that I saw there, um, we think as Americans or as, as Catholics, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a devotion to the saints, right? I've got a devotion to my saints. It is not anything like what I saw in Italy um, of course, you know, you have the various places where the, 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 the tomb is in the church. Um, and not only is the tomb in the church, but it's a glass 
coffin and then they've got uh-huh. either wax or metal or something or or concrete in the shape of the body to say hey the body's here and uh, and I've seen that before I've seen that in America even but what I've never seen was um the little notes and dollars and coins and any holy cards and anything that they could that they pushed through the crease in the glass and it's just laying all over the inside of the coffin I'm like I this is a level of devotion that I can't really fathom, but but it's intriguing because there is this sense of that person really has a connection more than just, oh, I'm saying this prayer. It's I'm going to go and I'm going to visit the tomb. I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to put a prayer intention. I'm going to do something. I'm not suggesting we go do this, but it was just really fascinating to me to see that level of, of devotion to the saints. Um, and that's something that that's largely absent. We have our one or two saints that we like that we read about, that we maybe do a devotion with. But we don't in the United States have a really broad knowledge of who the saints are beyond maybe the big 12 that everyone talks Mm -hmm. about. With that in mind, obviously we have your book on the saints for children. You've also got a new one uh, that's available on uh, Ave Maria Press called, I Mm -hmm. think, Pray For Us. Yeah. um, That's more for adults. Beyond these two books, what are things that you see that we can do in our personal devotion to increase our understanding and and relationship with the saints? It's a great question. And, you know, you're right that that seeing the devotion in Europe is just amazing. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go to St. Gerard Magella's shrine, they have whole rooms that are filled with baby clothes Hmm. because people pray for a healthy delivery and then they come back with their baby and they bring a gift of baby clothes because that that's just the custom there and so you walk in and you're just sort of flooded with with awe at the miracles that God works but also at people's people's devotion to really thanking that saint and honestly I think pilgrimage is a huge part of it mm-hmm. and it's it's a little bit trickier if you're living in the United States although if you Google how to make an American saints pilgrimage, you'll find an article I wrote that'll give you some information. It's a little bit out of date. We've had a couple of beatifications since then, but there are, if you're not in the Pacific Northwest, there are servants of God and venerables that you can find just about anywhere. It gets a little sparse up in Oregon and Washington. So y'all need to step up on that one. Uh, but <laughs> even the fact of going to the grave, I think, especially for an American where it is, it's difficult, you know, like you live in Europe and there's a saying on every corner, whereas we really have to make the effort to go and to sit there and to be like, I want to know who you are. And I have certain saint friends who I would never have become friends with had I not showed up at their tomb mm-hmm. and just been like, well, I'm here. Like I was going to be in Padua and I was like, well, I got to go see St. Anthony, right? Obviously. Right. And St. Luke is buried there. That's cool. But I was like, it's a town in Italy. They've got more saints than that. And I Googled and I was like, oh, St. Leopold Mondich. And my friend was like, cool, who's he? And I was like, he was short. He was like, that's probably not why they canonized him. I was like, that is the only thing I know about him. He was short. And so we went not knowing anything and visited his tomb and read up about him while we were there. And I was just like, this is one of the most important saints that I've ever encountered in my life. He's this Capuchin Franciscan from Croatia felt calls to work to reunite the East and the West. And he got sent to Italy where there are no Orthodox. And for decades, he asked his superiors to send him to the East. And for decades, they said, go sit in the confessional. 
and he obeyed, right? Because we know that holiness is found in obedience to our superiors, just commands, right? Um, he obeyed, but he continued to long. And it was, I mean, even just a few months before he died, he was like, I am certain now that God is going to send me to the East to work to reunite the church. And then he died in Italy. And you look at this man who had this lifelong desperate desire that was never satisfied, but he died happy because he died faithful. And I read about stories of the saints where they prayed and prayed and prayed, and then they got what they want. And it's very easy for me to read those stories and become fixated on the answer to the prayer. But Leopold Mondich, he sits next to me and he's like, God might just say no to this for decades and never take away that desire. And he is still good. Yeah. Right. And there's no way I would have met him if I hadn't just like showed up at his church. Right. And now like I spend so much time with him just sitting next to me being like, yeah, it's hard. I get it. I love you. Get up. Let's keep going. So let's talk about this. Um, The way that you talk about your friendship with the saints, first of all, is absolutely enticing and lovely, but it's a language that a lot of people don't use, or or maybe they hear it and they have a certain perspective of it. What does it look like to you uh, in your relationship with the saints? What does that, that um, interaction look like? How do the saints chase you down? And what consolation do you find in your devotion to to now? Of course, you've got hundreds because of the books. I have a friend who makes fun of me. So I'll be like, oh my gosh, I met the most amazing person. And she said, I never know when you start a story that way, if it's somebody living or dead. And I'm like, oh, always dead. I'm never that excited about the living. Uh, But it, it is, to me, it's an experience of encounter. And it is rooted very much in the story. I can't have a devotion to a saint whose story I don't know. And it has to be a story, not just a series of facts, the way that saint stories often are, but a story that somehow presents me with a personality, right? Or, or a cross that I, that I too am carrying or something, you know, that I love somebody who's carrying it. So really it's a question for me of finding the story well told or reading 75 articles and then telling it well myself, because I can't find anybody who's doing it the way I want them to. Um, And then Honestly, I'm, I'm not much of a one for like vocal intercession, even in my head. You know, when I'm praying for somebody, it's more a sense of, of holding that person in my heart yeah. toward Jesus, right? And so when I'm asking the saints to pray for me, it's not, it's not a lot of blessed Kalimba Kong Wan Sook pray for me. It's a lot of like, I know her mm-hmm. and I just need her to love me toward Jesus right now. It's kind of and like- so it's that feeling of them sitting next to me. It's kind of like that Lion King moment at the beginning where they just, the monkey just holds him <laughs> yes. up toward the sun. Hold me up in the air. Fling right. me at the cross if that's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the story is really important. And I talk to a lot of people who will say, oh, I have this really deep devotion to St. Sebastian. And I, I just keep hoping for someone to tell me that it's because they love his story and they really connect with his perseverance. And every time it's because they play basketball. And I'm like, okay, but he didn't play basketball. Would you like a saint who did play basketball? Because I can give you a saint who did play basketball. You know, it it is this like Google relationship with saints where you just Googled the patron saint of baking or you Googled the patron saint of Puerto Rico. And then you were like, okay, that's my person. And that's a start. But I think a lot of times the reason people don't have a deep devotion to the saints is because all they know is a patronage and, and an official patronage at that, which is not always tied to like the reality of the saint's life. 
But when we get to know the story and we see the humanity mm -hmm. and, and the idiosyncrasies and the hobbies, I mean, I love just knowing what instrument they played in middle school band, you know, like I love knowing that Venerable Alfonso Gallegos went to a public school in LA, right? Like those little things that seem insignificant to most hagiographers. I'm like, but that's where people connect and are like, oh, you know what it's like, right? So I really think it's, it's a question of learning the story and, and seeing the ones that resonate with you. So why do you think that it is um, maybe culturally for us to, to pursue the facts about a saint or the, the, uh, the quotes or whatever it is and not get into the story? I don't think that's our desire. Mm -hmm. I think we are a people that want to hear stories well told. And I think somewhere in the 20th century, our church forgot some of the things that we're good at. We forgot that we're good at art. Mm -hmm. We forgot <laughs> that we're good at music. We forgot that we're good at storytelling. And we, we sort of shunted all of that to secular artists and secular creatives and said, oh, well, there are, there are creators who are not Catholic who are doing these things, so we should just focus on dogma. Now I have two degrees in dogma. I'm a fan, but when the church, when the church allows the, the culture to be the one driving all of this development of art and beauty and creativity, we do a great disservice to our people. And I'm hopeful, I think there's been in, in America, the beginnings of a Catholic Renaissance where we have creatives, we have artists and musicians and poets and storytellers who are beginning to do this work that is our cultural heritage as Catholics that we've sort of set to the side for a time because we were too busy drilling people in memorization or maybe just painting rainbows on things and carrying felt banners, you know, like pick your poison, but without the beauty that is our heritage. I think in our effort to make things accessible, we've ended up losing a sense of, of the, uh, the sublime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's, there's sort of this feeling of, of like hunkering down, like pulling everybody in and we're just going to like do what we can. And, and maybe part of it also is that we started doing art badly. You know, we were like, well, something has to be created. So we might as well just write some music and throw in a guitar. And so people thought, began to believe that the church wasn't the place to be doing great art. Uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we're moving away from that. And I think that that's particularly essential in storytelling with the saints and with the story of Jesus and just really, really engaging people in their brokenness by speaking to them about the hope that God offers to broken people. Our guest today is Meg Hunter-Kilmer. She's got a couple of books out. Uh, we're talking about Saints Around the World, a picture book featuring 100 saints from 70 countries. This one's for kids. But there's also a beautiful one for adults called Pray for Us, 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled on Their Way to Holiness. Uh, those are both available by going to piercedhands.com. Piercedhands.com. That's Meg's website. Uh, there's much more to this conversation right after this, so don't go anywhere unless you go over to social media to be a part of the ongoing conversation. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Tell me about your favorite saint, maybe one that the rest of us haven't heard of. I'd love to hear. Don't go anywhere. Our conversation with Meg continues right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Meg Hunter-Kilmer, author of the book Saints Around the World by Emmaus Road Publishing. You can find out more about it at saintsaroundtheworld.com. Find out how to get your hands on one uh, or two or three, depending on how many godchildren you have or how many kids you have, how many libraries you need to purchase it for. Uh, it's beautifully illustrated. Tell me a little bit about the process of, we talked about representation in terms of the stories that are being told, but there's also representation in the way that the pictures are being drawn. Tell me a little bit about that process. So the artist is Lindsay Sanders. She's one of my best friends. I've known her since I was 18 years old. Her oldest daughter is my goddaughter. So working together was just a no-brainer. I wouldn't have written a book with anybody else because I trust her artistic sensibilities and I also trust her research skills. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would comment on a picture and I would say, oh, um, you know, I think maybe she should be standing like this. And she would say, oh, no. So I researched the way that Korean art represents women who are in times of crisis. And this is the posture that they use. And I was like, it just never even occurred to me yeah. that posture is culturally relative and that you would need to look that up, you know, or I would look at a picture and I'd say, oh, I like, the, I like that expression on his face. And she would say, yes, well, you know, Thai people have cheekbones that are further forward than higher up in eight. And I was just like, I, I mean, of course they do, right? Like just the, the level of research and, and you can see it in the notes in the book underneath each picture, there's a description of the picture and it tells you that her headdress is modeled on a statue of the Empress Ariadne from the sixth century. And you're just like, right, this is not just like, we're going to put a bunch of people in robes. This right. is real, real work. And we actually, with every culture that we weren't familiar with, we found somebody from that culture mm -hmm. and asked them to look at the picture to make sure that there wasn't anything problematic. Well, and there was one saint who was, he was holding a gong and they were like, yeah, he can't be holding a gong. And I was like, oh, but he did. And they were like, right, but it's pagan and he can't. And we were like, okay, all right. And so we took the gong out of the picture because we were like, this is going to be something that's off-putting to Hmong people. And we're not interested in doing that. Well, and it's interesting because God himself is very interested. The saints themselves are very interested in, in accurately, um, accurately representing the cultures. We look at the apparitions of Mary around the world. Yes. And she always appears in a way that, that speaks specifically to that culture. I'm thinking primarily of, uh, of Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, who yes. in, in her presentation of herself presented herself in in very symbolic ways that spoke directly to the people that ended up being a, a point of conversion mass conversion for the the people of of uh, central and south america so um this this is an important aspect that like you said most of us don't even think of of uh, and yet the symbolism of the saints is almost as if not as important as every aspect of their story. Absolutely. And uh, Lindsay is, I mean, she's just amazing to work with because I sometimes would come in and be like, I don't think I got the story quite right. So you need to fix it with the picture. And she would come back with something where I'm like, that's exactly what I was going for. Like blessed Columba Kong Won Suk is one where I was like, Lindsay, I love her so much. And I did not do her justice. And she came back with this picture of her standing in between soldiers and the Christian community and like just standing strong. And I was like, that's what I need. But it's beautiful to watch, especially children who aren't white, 
uh, particularly if they have like close ancestors who are very rooted in their culture to look and be like, oh my gosh, like my grandma wears a hanbok like that. Mm-hmm. Or um, to, I mean, like with obviously with skin tone and with hair, hair texture, but with the very clothing for them to say, oh, that's what my, that's what my mom wears, you know, and they just get so excited to see themselves depicted. Uh, it's just, it's such a joy to watch the way that people's eyes light up when God speaks to them through the saints and says, you are loved exactly as you are. Now, Meg, you have a, a, a life that is maybe a little bit different than, than other people would choose for themselves. Uh, you are traveling just about full time, uh, serving the church in missions here, at, at least in the United States, if not further abroad. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience of wherever you go, introducing people to the saints. It is such a gift. And, you know, TL, it's it's beautiful because it happens in different ways all the time. So I'm a missionary. I live out of my car. Um, been living out of my car for 10 years, 50 states, 25 countries, driven about 300,000 miles. So I meet a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'll have people sometimes who are telling their story. And I'm like, wait, wait. But do you know, do you know about this saint? And the answer is always no, because I'm always telling them about some like (laughs) random Rwandan servant of God or something. And they're like, obviously, no, nobody has ever heard of that person before. And to be able to tell them these stories and to say, look, this thing right now that is causing you such great shame, God put a halo on that. Yeah. You know, like you're dealing with addiction. St. Mark Chi Tian Xiang was an opium addict who had been away from the sacraments for 30 years when he died. Kept away from the sacraments because yes, of, kept away because he sacraments. kept lapsing into uh, into the the addiction and and the people the powers that be said well you're not really repenting and mm-hmm. so sent him away. Ooh, I pray for that priest Ooh. a lot. I do because that is not how addiction works and that is not how confession works and I get real salty every time I talk about him and so I pray for him because God willing. He is, maybe he's already in heaven. He's like, I get it. I screwed up. It's fine. But if he's in purgatory, he's getting a lot more prayers than he did for the first hundred years after he died. Yeah. So you, I, I interrupted that story about the, <laughs> no, about sorry. the um, So to tell people about, about these saints who've had their same circumstances, but there are other times when I just sort of like want to tell somebody a saint story. And there's no reason, like, I don't know. Or, you know, they're, t- they're talking about something. And I'm like, I think you need this saint. And as I'm telling the story, I'm like, there is no connection here, Lord. So I'm going to hope this is you and not just me. And just seeing their, their eyes bug out and their jaw drop. And sometimes they say, I never told you this, but, or I never told anyone this, but here's the connection. And and sometimes they just start crying and they say, that is not my story at all, but I love him so much. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that gets me really excited when, when people just react, especially when it's before I've even really told the story, because I'm like, oh, that is because that saint has loved you since before you were born. And he has tried to be your friend for 50 years and nobody was telling you about him. So he couldn't get through. And now finally this friendship is going to become a two-way thing. And, you know, it's just so exciting to know that, that there are people who are going to recognize friends in heaven because of the stories that God has asked me to tell. Yeah. We're talking with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. The book is Saints Around the World. Uh, this is a book for children. Um, 
as we as we introduce our children to the saints and we introduce them to the idea that that holiness is achievable and that um, that relationship with with God and with the community with the church is achievable um, how how would you maybe tell me a story of a child's response that you saw not only the immediate response but also saw a trajectory change in that child from that point of introduction forward? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. The book has only been out for six months. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would say Blessed Peter Kibe is a mm-hmm. big one. So Blessed Peter Kibe is my best friend. He was a 16th and 17th century Japanese Jesuit, um, born into a Christian family, educated by the Jesuits, tried to enter the Jesuits. They told him no, they didn't think he was committed enough. So he volunteered with them for eight years and then they got kicked out of the country and he went with them to Portuguese Macau in China and he went to the seminary and he was like, will you ordain me? And they said, we don't ordain Japanese people. Hmm. And so he traveled to India to the seminary founded by St. Francis Xavier for the purpose of forming native clergy. And he said, will you ordain me? And they said, we don't ordain Asian people. Right. And we know that racism continues to be an issue in the church. Right. And so like what an intercessor for people who are having that experience now, he could have given up. He would have been well within his rights to say, well, if this church doesn't want me, I don't want anything to do with it, especially when he knew that it was certain death Mm -hmm. to become a Catholic as a Japanese man in the 17th century, certain death. But he kept going and he walked 3,700 miles to get to Jerusalem, to become the first Japanese person ever to enter Jerusalem, makes his way to Rome, gets ordained there, and then says, send me back. And they were like, they will murder you in gruesome ways. He said, yep. Takes him (laughs) eight years to get back to Japan. Chased by pirates, shipwrecked, had to build his own ship to sail across a thousand miles of Pacific Ocean. Eight years to get back, never gives up, all to spend the rest of his life in hiding before finally being captured and subjected to torture and certain death. Nine years he spends living in a cave, serving the people of God. Finally, he's arrested, tortured horrifically and murdered. And he is such a good friend when you are feeling sorry for yourself. (laughs) Because he stands there and he's like 3,700 miles, honey, 3,700 miles. I need you to walk up the next flight of stairs, right? Um, and I, t- I tell his story all the time, you know, in the, in the longer version than that, because it's so compelling, right? First of all, because nothing could motivate a person to spend 24 years trying to achieve a certain vocation with all of that opposition, all of that work, except being in love, yeah. right? If that's not rooted in a love affair, it is utter insanity. But also because... He's so good for reframing our daily struggles. And I think especially with children, I know a lot of children um, who, whose parents have sort of trained them in the way of Blessed Peter Kibe. And I've heard children, they'll be in the middle of doing something and they're whining about it. And their mom says, do we quit? And they go, I'm a Peter Kibe and I don't quit. You know, they've like, because <laughs> I, I did a podcast where I trained the children to say, I'm a Peter Kibe and I don't quit. And my nephew one time was exhausted. We were walking to a parking garage. He was like nine years old. And I had to pull him aside and be like, I need you to get this together. And I said, who's a good saint for us right now? Because mm-hmm. this is a really hard three block walk to the parking garage. And he drew himself up and he said, probably blessed Peter Kibe. And I was like, okay. And he goes, blessed Peter Kibe. 
pray for us. And he took a deep breath and he pasted a smile on his face. And he said to his brothers and sisters, all right, guys, let's go. And, you know, it's just a beautiful thing, I think, to have a saint like that who's sitting with you and is like, look, mm-hmm. it is not that bad. <laughs> right. it is not, sometimes it is that bad. And you need the saints who are like, yes, it is that bad. But sometimes it's a three block walk to a parking garage. Yeah. And you need a saint, especially as a child, who's a hero in not complaining. So that's a gift to all of your listeners who are parents. Introduce them to Peter Kibe and we'll, we'll take care of some of the whining. We're going to let you actually introduce them to Peter Kibe because you mentioned the podcast uh, and you can find that over at piercedhands.com. We're going to put a link over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. So you've got the podcast, but you also travel around and, and speak. So tell us a little bit about how someone would find you and bring you in and what that might look like once you're there at their parish. Yeah, you have to be a Peter Kibe and persevere because you're going to send me an email and I'm not going to notice. And then you're going <laughs> to message me on Facebook and I'm not going to see you. And then you're going to DM me on Instagram and I might respond to that one. So I apologize in advance. Uh, but I, I go all over the world. I don't charge anything. I speak to ages one through 98 on basically any topic. I don't really do chastity talks or like, uh, I, I don't know, um, biotechnology stuff. Like there, there you're going to have to bring in an authority. Um, but scripture and prayer and discernment and the saints and really anything else, apologetics, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I've done groups as small as one, which is awkward at, the, at that point. You just need to have a conversation and right. as large as several thousand, um, kind of up for whatever. So the other thing I want to talk about, um, of course, they can find more about that at piercedhands.com. Again, we'll have a link. Uh, you've got a new book, um, uh, Pray For Us, on Ave Maria Press that's about the saints, but it's written not not as a children's book, but as an adult's book. Um, do you have a saint out of that book that can give us maybe some hope for the kind of adult problems that, well, let's do this. We, we currently are in the middle of... A, just an environment in our, in our world and in our country of great division mm-hmm. and, and of strong opinion and of um, dissension. Who's a saint for our time? My favorite for unity in the midst of that diversity of opinion um, is a pair of saints. So it's St. Saint Oscar Romero and Venerable Rutilio Grande. So Venerable Rutilio Grande will be beatified in January. I think most people know Oscar Romero's story, but they may not know that Rutilio Grande is the one who occasioned his conversion. Hmm. Rutilio was an, another young Salvadoran man raised in poverty. His parents divorced when he was little. Mom disappeared. He's raised by his grandma, entered the Jesuits, had serious struggles with mental health, was multiple times hospitalized for catatonic schizophrenia. So again, a saint for our times, right? Got treatment right, was supported by his religious order in getting treatment um, and in those hospitalizations and in ongoing mental health care. He and Oscar Romero became really good friends. And Rutilio is like way far left liturgically, way far left theologically. He's out there like in his civvies, working in the fields with the farmers. Romero is like covered in lace and stuck in a book, right? They, they differed completely on all of the major questions of the day, and they adored each other. Mm-hmm. Rutilio emceed Oscar Romero's first mass as, as archbishop, I believe. Um, I mean, like they had they had 
all of these opposing views, but that wasn't an issue in their friendship, which is such a gift to see. And ultimately, Rutilio was shot and killed for his work for the poor. And Romero, who up to that point had refused to step in, refused to take a stand, didn't want to make trouble, you know, very, very bookish, um, dealing with his own mental health issues with his obsessive compulsive disorder um, and likely scrupulosity tied in with that. He hadn't wanted to make a mess and get involved. And then he went and saw the body of his friend. Yeah. And he said, if they did this to him, it is not an option for me not to get involved. And he had this major transformation and he led his priests and his people in this incredible pursuit of justice that ended up culminating in his death. But to, to have those two and to see like they, they still would have disagreed on a lot of things even after Romero came around on this one issue, yeah. but it didn't matter because their friendship wasn't rooted in ideology. Their friendship was rooted in encountering the other person as the beloved of God. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. The book is Saints Around the World, saintsaroundtheworld.com. She's got another one, Pray For Us, that you can also find over at piercedhands.com. Meg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It has been lovely chatting with you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Meg Hunter-Kilmore, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you can't get enough, well, I got good news because there is more to my conversation with Meg. Uh, Each and every week, we make an extra segment available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps ensure that we're able to stay on the air week after week, providing us the resources we need to bring you this program. Uh, And in gratitude, we give them extra segments ranging anywhere from eight minutes to 25 minutes, depending on the week. Uh, And this week is no exception as we dive deeper with Meg. So go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, look at that link in the top right-hand corner of the page. It says Patreon-support-the-show. Click that link, read through the description, and see if that's something you want to be a part of, and then enjoy this week's extra segment with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to documents of the church, to fathers and doctors, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the, the book of Revelation. I have to be honest with you, we we didn't do an All Saints show on All Saints Day this week, and it, and it just kind of tore me up. And so um, I love that we're getting getting here at the end of the month of November, the month that we remember the souls, uh, the holy souls in purgatory. We remember the saints who have gone before us. I love that here at the end of the month, we're getting back to the saints. And so we're going to do our readings um, from the Solemnity of All Saints, even though we're long past it. We're going to go back and pull the readings both from Scripture and from church history off of that day. So here comes our reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. I, John, saw another angel come up from the east, holding the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice, to the four angels who were given power to damage the land and the sea. Do not damage the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. I heard the number of those who had been marked with the seal, 144,000 
marked from every tribe of the children of Israel. After this, I had a vision of a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation comes from our God, who is seated on the throne, and from the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They prostrated themselves before the throne, worshipped God, and exclaimed, Amen. Blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders spoke up and said to me, Who are these wearing white robes, and where did they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you are the one who knows. He said to me, These are the ones who have survived the time of great distress. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. That's the reading that we're given on the Solemnity of All Saints. And I love this picture. Uh, it's Again, it comes back to what, what Meg is trying to do in this book by presenting us these saints around the world. Because the picture that God gives to the Apostle John, to the evangelist, is this. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every race, every people, and every tongue. This is what our church looks like. It is a universal church, and it's again a deeper reminder that we belong to one another. We're not separated by, by race or class or location. We are made one in Christ because we all have been brought into that family of God by virtue of our baptisms. So, Find a saint. Find a saint that's part of your family tree that you don't know about. Someone who looks different than you. Someone who is part of this throng who is going to be there to welcome you into your eternal reward when the day comes. Yes, this extended family of ours that we have in the saints. Our reading from church history today comes again from the breviary, from the, the Solemnity of All Saints, and it is a, a sermon by St. Bernard. Why should our praise and glorification, or even the celebration of this feast day, mean anything to the saints? What do they care about earthly honors when their Heavenly Father honors them by fulfilling the faithful promise of the Son? What does our commemoration mean to them? The saints have no need of honor from us. Neither does our devotion add the slightest thing to what is theirs. Clearly, if we venerate their memory, it serves us, not them. But I tell you, when I think of them, I feel myself inflamed by a tremendous yearning. Calling the saints to mind inspires, or rather arouses in us above all else, a longing to enjoy their company, so desirable in itself. We long to share in the citizenship of heaven, to dwell with the spirits of the blessed, to join the assembly 
of patriarchs, the ranks of the prophets, the council of apostles, the great host of martyrs, the noble company of confessors, and the choir of virgins. In short, we long to be united in happiness with all the saints. But our dispositions change. The church of all the first followers of Christ awaits us, but we do nothing about it. The saints want us to be with them, and we are indifferent. The souls of the just await us, and we ignore them. Come, brothers, let us at length spur ourselves on. We must rise again with Christ. We must seek the world which is above and set our minds on the things of heaven. Let us long for those who are longing for us. Hasten to those who are waiting for us and ask those who look for our coming to intercede for us. We should not only want to be with the saints, we should also hope to possess their happiness. While we desire to be in their company, we must also earnestly seek to share in their glory. Do not imagine that there is anything harmful in such an ambition as this. There is no danger in setting our hearts on such glory. When we commemorate the saints, we are inflamed with another yearning, that Christ our life may also appear to us as he appeared to them, and that we may one day share in his glory. Until then, we see him not as he is, but as he became for our sake. He is our head, crowned not with glory, but with the thorns of our sins. As members of that head, crowned with thorns, we should be ashamed to live in luxury. His purple robes are a mockery rather than an honor. When Christ comes again, his death shall no longer be proclaimed, and we shall know that we also have died and that our life is hidden with him. The glorious head of the church will appear, and his glorified members will shine in splendor with him when he forms this lowly body anew into such glory as belongs to himself, its head. Therefore, we should aim at attaining this glory with a wholehearted and prudent desire, that we may rightly hope and strive for such blessedness. We must, above all, seek the prayers of the saints. Thus, what is beyond our own powers to obtain will be granted through their intercession. That beautiful reading comes from a homily by St. Bernard of Clairvaux that's read each year in the breviary on the Solemnity of All Saints in the Office of Readings. If you want to get to know the saints a little bit better, well, Meg Hunter-Kilmer's got a couple of books for you. The first we talked about is Saints Around the World. Find out more at saintsaroundtheworld.com. The second is Pray for Us, 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled on Their Way to Holiness. You can get that at piercedtohands.com. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.